Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I heard a British singer talking about her newest album the other day. Apparently she had even helped with the writing of some of the songs it contained. But I was captivated by the name that she had given her album. She called it The Perfect Contradiction. Isn't that an interesting choice of words? Almost a conundrum. What, after all, is a contradiction? The dictionary offers these two definitions for contradiction. It is the act of saying something that is opposite or very different in meaning to something else. And secondly, a difference or disagreement between two things, which means that both cannot be true. So now, define what contradiction is. How do you make a perfect contradiction? It might be a situation wherein you find the perfect way to set something up so that there is a perfect disagreement or difference between the two things. Perfect in the sense that it is the ultimate, the epitome of examples where one thing so startlingly differs or disagrees from another thing that there is a major contradiction. Both cannot be true. One must be correct. But which one? How do you make a decision? Being the perfect example means it is the best possible setup either to totally confuse us or to clearly show the contradiction. It is a logical incongruity. And it is where a statement or phrase whose parts contradict each other. For example, a round square is a contradiction in terms. It's either totally false and impossible, like the square circle, or it is a paradox that we do not yet have all the facts. This artist called her new album The Perfect Contradiction. To the uninitiated, to those who do not possess the understanding of spiritual entities, there are many apparent contradictions in Scripture. The concept of God being able to exist in three distinct persons as the Trinity can be seen as a contradiction. That this God, creator of life, could die also defies human logic. The Bible says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This refuses to be easily understood and accepted without spiritual eyes. The concepts of original sin, the fall, the two natures, spiritual warfare, all fall into this category in my opinion. But perhaps a perfect contradiction is expressed in one of my favorite hymns. One of the stances goes like this. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? who knew no sin for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Hallelujah. What a Savior we have.
And now with his message for today, here's Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings. We are continuing to look at the Beatitudes as Jesus' personal profile of a true disciple. In them, he describes the traits or characteristics of one who commits him or herself totally to following Jesus Christ. Now, we have already looked at the first three Beatitudes in which Jesus describes a true disciple as one who demonstrates a spiritual brokenness before God, that's Beatitude 1, that continues to manifest itself in one's life as a deep remorse and sorrow towards sin in and around them, that's Beatitude 2, and as one who has his emotions under the control of the Holy Spirit, that's Beatitude 3. This is our definition of what it means to be blessed with the virtue of meekness. So today, we will consider the fourth Beatitude, in which Jesus describes the blessing of having a ravenous hunger and deep thirst for righteousness. Please follow with me in your Bible then, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The text reads, quote, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. End of quote. Now, as in each of the Beatitudes, it begins with the statement of blessing. Blessed. As we saw earlier, this is the Greek word makarios, which, as we've seen, means to be approved of God. As a result of this knowledge, the knowledge of being approved by God, we experience a sense of deep inner peace, joy, and tranquility, even in the midst of severe external pressure, turmoil, or difficulties. Now again, following the structure of each of the Beatitudes, Jesus next states the demanded trait or characteristic. In this fourth beatitude, the trait demanded is a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now, to get the full impact of this quality demanded of a true disciple, we must understand the thrust of this metaphor. And to do this, we must study the meaning of each of the terms used in this passage. So let's get at it then. The terms Hunger and thirst describe an intense, ravenous, total, deep-seated passion. It expresses a spiritual craving that causes one to experience spiritual pain and agony as much as does an individual who is at the point of physical starvation due to a lack of food and dehydration due to a lack of water. This is a ravenous spiritual desire, almost to the point of being spiritually gluttonous. Now, a little technical here, but a unique grammatical structure is used in this verse in the way in which these terms are used with respect to righteousness as their object. Usually, the noun that follows their usage in the Greek is what is called a partitive noun, P-A-R-T-I-T-I-V-E. That is, it means that the person hungers and thirsts after something only partially, not totally or absolutely. In other words, he doesn't want the whole thing, only a part of it. That's the usual way of using these terms. However, 
In this verse, this normal rule of grammar is abandoned and ignored. And so what Jesus is actually saying here is that a true disciple is a believer who totally, completely, and agonizingly hungers and thirsts after total righteousness before God. In other words, he wants the whole thing. He wants to be totally righteous in every area of his life and being. Now, such an intense desire presupposes two things about us. First, we have a need for righteousness. And second, we cannot meet that need ourselves. And we realize that we cannot be filled or satisfied until we have that righteousness. But now exactly what is this righteousness that is so appealing and desirous to one who is a true disciple of Christ? In essence, righteousness simply means God or Christ-likeness. That's all. But the scriptures teach that there are two aspects of this kind of righteousness for us. First, there is what is called the judicial or positional righteousness. This simply means to be right with God. It is a state or position in which God places us when we place faith in Christ and in his finished work on Calvary. God declares us to be righteous in Christ, even though we are not righteous in ourselves. That's justification. To be declared to be what we are not because we are in Christ. Christ's righteousness is imputed, charged, or imparted to us when we place our faith in him. This is positional truth. This is positional righteousness. But there's also a second aspect to biblical righteousness, and that is the practical or progressive aspect. The Bible also refers to this as sanctification. It is actually a reflection or outworking of positional righteousness is what God sees. Progressive or practical righteousness is what man sees. It has to do with how we live out our imputed righteousness before the world. It has to do with holiness of life, daily and gradually becoming more like Christ in our manner of life, in our actions and attitudes and even our thoughts. A true disciple is one who desires this kind of lifestyle more than anything else in the world. And he wants the whole thing. He wants to be completely and totally like Christ. And he'll do or give up anything to fill that hunger. In the words of Jesus in another part of his teaching on the Mount, a true disciple will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that everything else will be added unto him. But what do most of us do? What we do is to seek other things first. We seek happiness to things and religious experiences. That's why so many Christians go from conference to conference, seminar to seminar, church to church. They're looking for personal spiritual fulfillment in experiences and events. And the more exciting for them, the better. But friends, this kind of practical holiness and righteousness go beyond religious experiences and activities. If that were all that was necessary, then the Pharisees certainly would have been truly righteous. 
They prayed like none or at least few of us pray. They tithe more faithfully than most do. They studied the Bible more than most of us do, but yet their souls were still not satisfied. They were eating and drinking, but they were eating and drinking with the wrong inner motive. They were still not happy or blessed. And in fact, Jesus told his disciples, quote, Unless your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you would not see the kingdom of God. Holiness, my friends, and true practical sanctification comes from within, not from without. It is the automatic and natural outworking and manifestation of one who has truly been made positionally righteous before God, and he knows that truth. He realizes it is a fact. He realizes that Christ gave his life to secure that blessed position for us. And therefore, as a natural response, we should be willing to give ourselves to him in holiness of life. Listen to the word of the Apostle Paul in this regard in Romans 12, verse 1. Quote, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. End of quote. My friends, that's how positional holiness and righteousness are genuinely worked out in a progressive, practical way. We become voluntary living sacrifices for and to the one who is a voluntary sacrifice for us. Our life as a true disciple is committed then to completely and entirely pleasing him in all that we do. Our intense desire, our ravenous desire is to be like him. So we live sanctified, set apart from sin lives because we have sanctified and set him apart in our hearts. That is the profile of a true disciple as being given by Jesus here. Notice now the basis for this promised blessing. It is Jesus says without doubt or reservation that those who intensely and earnestly hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled, shall be satisfied. Notice first that this is the reason for the blessing. They shall be filled. In other words, the filling or satisfying of the hungering and thirsting is the basis for the blessing, not the hungering and thirsting itself. If this was so, then why would it be necessary to be filled? And so the point is that we are blessed because of what God does, not because of what we do. But second, notice also that the filling or satisfying is certain. The text says, shall be filled, no doubt whatsoever. Those who trust in Christ and follow him will never be disappointed, my friends. But third, note also that this filling once entered into is a present, continual, and ongoing experience and reality. Now, actually, a paradox is involved here. 
both the hungering and the thirsting and the filling are ongoing and continual at the same time. We are only filled if we hunger and thirst. And as we are filled, we hunger and thirst all the more. To put it in the profound words of a simple saint, quote, The more you eat, the more you want. Jesus just gets gooder and gooder. But now, what are some of the evidences of a true disciple who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Let me suggest a few just before we close. First, there is a positive denial of that which opposes righteousness or godliness in our life. Sin is sin, my friends, not a mistake. Unrighteousness is unrighteousness, not an economic necessity. Disobedience is disobedience, not human weakness. Second, there is careful and deliberate avoidance of all that dulls the taste of righteousness. Such things may not be evil in themselves, mind you, but they do not contribute positively to a godly lifestyle. It's like eating juju or sour tamarinds before a meal. They put your teeth on edge and dulls your taste and desire for food that is good for the body. So do a lot of sweet things and activities dull our taste and desire for the things of God. Now you know what these are for you, as I do know what they are for me. Third, there's an evident passion for closeness and intimacy with Christ. And that is manifested in a consistent prayer life, study of the Word of God, genuine worship, and meaningful fellowship with the people of God. It's a passion that's well expressed in the words of a prayer made by a former missionary who gave up all to follow Christ. This is what he said, quote, I have one consuming passion. It is you, O Christ, and you alone. The same deep desire is expressed by the Psalm in David when he says, As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my heart after thee, O God. Let me ask you, my friend, is this your desire? It certainly is mine. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast.
I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again